Nope, not today, Satan. Come on. Nope, not today. Or tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day either. Come on. Am I right? You want to have a little fun kicking off? Oh, before we get into message time, uh, I, got a, I got an announcement I want to share with you. Anybody like announcements? He's a good announcement. Uh, those of you that were here last Sunday, how many were just blessed by Ricky and Julie Legg that led us into worship? Were you blessed by those guys? So would it be okay if I told you that they're coming permanently starting in two weeks? Pastor Ricky and Julie watching online in Florida right now. So good to see you guys. Can't wait till you get here. It's going to be an exciting time, and we're excited about the anointing that's on their lives, the humility that's in their lives, and the incredible talent, obviously, that's there. So we're excited about that. So let's get into message time. Can we have some fun before we get into the message? Is it okay? I, I need your help with something, okay? I, I need you guys, this section right here, I need for you guys to hate the color red. You got it? You hate the color red. Everybody clear? Okay. All right. You guys love the color red. It is the best color there is on the planet. Okay? You guys uh, don't believe that the color red exists. There's no such thing as the color red. You got, everybody got it? You guys, you just want everybody to get along. Okay? So you ready? On your mark, get set. Who wants the color red? I got two guys over here that this whole, I gave you guys the biggest group and you failed me. I, I, who won? The, I hate, I think the lovers got it. All I can say is the lovers got it. I just, I thought it'd be fun to do that because it's an interesting thing how much energy you can produce from a silly little game like that. Uh, you can imagine how real beliefs that define our lives can produce all kinds of energy and take us in all kinds of directions. Let's be honest. Some things we believe are, are harmless. I mean, you can believe whatever you want to about the tooth fairy. I don't care what you believe about the tooth fairy. All I know is that when I was a kid, the tooth fairy brought me a nickel, and my granddaughter the other day expected $5 under her pillow. I don't know something's changed over the years, but other beliefs, though, are not harmless at all. Can I get an amen? I mean, there are beliefs, there are lies, beliefs that are not true that have robbed us of happiness when we have every reason to be happy. They've made us feel guilty and, and ashamed when there's absolutely nothing to be guilty about. I got one amen. They've caused us to worry and be afraid and even be depressed over something that wasn't even true. They've caused us to mourn when there was every reason in the world to have joy. Beliefs can be harmless or they can be profound, but the bottom line is that beliefs have a huge impact on who we are, how we live our lives, and where we go. In fact, one of the things that I love about our church, those of you that are new here, is we have the incredible privilege of helping people who are trapped by false beliefs uh, to be set by free by the truth. God's Word is true. And, and this church is based in the foundation of God's Word. And so we help people all the time to, to understand what the truth is. And we watch them be set free from the bondages of the lies that they've been told. Sadly, we also have the pain of watching people stay trapped in false beliefs 
because Satan has convinced them that that's the only choice they have. And no matter what we say, they say, no, you don't understand my circumstances. I can't because beliefs had a powerful impact on us, and Satan knows it, and he uses it. So here I am to tell you, enough. I'm sick and tired of Satan taking territory when Jesus said before he left, occupy till I come. That's a military term that means take territory. And so here we are for the next few weeks. We're going to be saying, nope, Satan, not today, not tomorrow, not the next day. We're putting our foot down. Come on, do it with me. We're putting our foot down and saying, no, we're going to crush his head. We are not going to allow him to have dominion in our lives. We're going to say, forget about it. it ain't, you ain't controlling me no more. Hear me, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. The only authority Satan has in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is that which you give him. By believing a lie, he has no authority in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're not there, if you haven't given your life to him, I beg you, don't leave this place today without establishing that relationship. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, some of Satan's favorite tricks. We're going to be talking about some of the schemes and tactics that he uses to keep even people who have committed their lives to Christ and they've established their eternity. I'm not saying this is a heaven or hell kind of thing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the abundant life. I'm talking about the fulfilling life. I'm talking about becoming everything God made us to be while we're here and Satan has effectively used some tactics and schemes. We're going to lay the groundwork for that today, just kind of introduce it to you. But week by week, we're going to unpack those schemes and, and give you the tools that you need to recognize them when they come and to, and to put your foot down and say, no, Satan, you are not doing that to me. I will not come under your thumb, under your authority. But before we do that, and just today, what well, all I want to do is to get our wheels turning. And to do that, I want to teach you three truths about what you believe. Three simple things that are true about what we believe. Number one, simply, is my beliefs determine my behaviors. The way I act starts with the way I think. Hear me, no one can force you to believe anything. You can be forced to do stuff, but you can't be forced to believe nothing. You, 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 you choose to believe what you believe. I can choose to believe that I still look 35 if I want to. You can choose to make fun of me if I want to, but that's my choice and that's your choice. The point I'm making simply is that you have the power over your beliefs and you can't blame anybody else for what you believe. You make those choices. Nobody else, sure, teachers and, and parents and preachers, and they all have influence, but at the end of the day, we choose our beliefs, which means, and this is huge, get this, that means that we can evaluate our belief system at any given time and decide whether to hold on to them or let them go. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do over the next four or five weeks is to take an honest look at some of your belief systems based in the, the, the foundation of the Word of God we believe around here that everything we believe and every way we behave should be based in the Bible, the Word of God. 
And I'm going to ask you over the next few weeks to evaluate your belief systems, your worldview, if you want to call it that, through that lens, looking at some of the things that Satan is really good at it. Why is that so important? Because Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful what you think because your thoughts do what? They ultimately run your life. In other words, there's a belief behind every action that you take. Sometimes those are conscious beliefs. Sometimes they're unconscious beliefs. And when you came in here this morning, you came in, you picked your chair. Of course, you picked it by the second or third Sunday that you started coming here, and you've been sitting in that chair ever since, right? But you found your chair, and if somebody was in it, you decided whether you were going to say anything or not. Thank you for not. But... And then you sat down. In most cases, you didn't stop and look at the chair, check the chair, do I believe this chair will hold me? You just unconsciously believe the chair would hold you, and you sat down, right? When you get out of the service today, you're going to go out, you're going to get in your car, and you're going to turn the key, believing that it will start and believing that you will survive leaving this parking lot between services. You just kind of believe that because if you didn't believe, you wouldn't do it, right? Well, Well, those are simple illustrations, but... There's a powerful one from my life, a life-defining one from my life. My dad died at 41, and I went through most of my young adult life believing that I would die at 41, sincerely believing that I was going to have a heart attack at 36, that was his first heart attack, and that I would die at 41. And so for the first 20 years of my adult life, I was a driven human being. I was driven to accomplish everything I was put on this planet to do because I only had 20 years to do it all. So I planted 40 churches before my 40th birthday. Nearly lost my family in the process. But I was a driven individual. Nobody on this planet was more surprised than me when I woke up on my 42nd birthday. I'm talking to the point that at 36 I had all of the symptoms of a heart attack. I had the pressure in my chest. My left arm went numb. I was breathless. I went into the hospital. They put me through a battery of three days of tests. At the end of the test, they said, we don't know why you're here. You should go out for the MBA. And I said, well, I can't shoot or jump, so that doesn't work. But so there's nothing wrong with your heart. I said, what in the world is this? The doctor said, it's stress. You thought yourself into the symptoms. Are you listening to this? You thought yourself into the symptoms of a heart attack when in fact your heart is healthy. And here I am 30 years later, as healthy as I was then. And able to do as much as I believe God's called me to do. And what I'm saying is you have to evaluate your beliefs once in a while because I'm not talking about whether you're going to get to heaven or not. Jesus established that. You give your life to him. I'm talking about whether you live the fulfilling life that he promised for you. We've got to evaluate. We're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. The second truth simply is that we have, uh, that our beliefs have a source. I love it when people say, you know, they say these kind of weird things, and they say, and I ask, well, where did you get that idea from? Well, I, I thought of that myself. <laughs> sure you did. One of the wisest men that ever lived said 3,000 years ago in Ecclesiastes, what has, been, uh, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Can I get an amen in the room? 
That tells me that one of the fundamental questions of life has to be whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a Baptist or a Buddhist. One of the fundamental questions, uh, questions of life has got to be what's going to be the source of truth for my life? Where am I going to get my beliefs from? Because there aren't any new ones. Where am I going to get my beliefs from, which means where am I going to take my actions from? And you need to understand, you that are watching online, you that are with us in the room, you need to understand that there are only two options available. There is culture or Christ. There is the Word or the world. Those are the only two options that are out there. Here's how Jesus put it, familiar passage maybe. John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Who's the thief in Jesus' words? It's Satan. It's the devil. It's the one who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible calls him Satan, the devil, Lucifer. There are lots of names for him in Scripture, but whatever name you choose, you need to know three things about him, okay? The first thing you need to know is that Satan is real. Say it with me. Satan is real. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against your brother-in-law. That's not what it says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? The spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The Bible has all kinds of names for him. One of them is the father of lies. And I think probably the most profound lie that he's perpetrated on our generation and our culture is that he doesn't exist. Because if he can convince us that he doesn't exist, then he's got free reign. George Barner, who studies these things in 2010, did a survey of and wrote a book called What Americans Believe. He said that 68% of Americans believe that Satan is real, which means 32% don't believe he's real, but 68% do. But 40% of the ones who said, yes, he's real, said also, well, I don't actually think he's a living being. I think he's the symbol of evil. And Satan's laughing all the way to the soul bank. Hear me, guys, there is a war going on for the souls of men and women. And if Satan can convince you that he's not real, he's won half the battle already. And what's his agenda? What did Jesus say his agenda was? To steal, kill, and destroy the rich and satisfying, fulfilling, abundant life that Jesus came to give. So let's be clear. The Old Testament says Satan began as an angel in heaven named Lucifer. At some point in eternity past, he got prideful, decided he wanted worship for himself instead of for God, and ultimately God cast him out of heaven, and a third of the angels that sided with him were cast out with him. By the time we get to the New Testament, he's called lots of things, accuser of the brethren, prince of the power of the air, slanderer, In Matthew 6, when Jesus taught us to pray, uh, what we now call the Lord's Prayer, he called him the evil one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Whatever you call him, you need to know he's real. He's real. The second thing you need to know is he's active. Satan is active. He's real and he's really active. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't think for a minute that he's not real or that he's not active. It amazes me quite often when, when Christians or somebody becomes a Christian and then things don't work out for them and somehow they had this idea, well, I gave my life to Christ. Everything's going to be smooth sailing from now on. No, you weren't a threat to to, to the enemy until after you gave your life to Christ. Now you're a threat. He's going to come after you. Don't be surprised by that. 
If you have a, a spiritual victory as a follower of Christ and God takes you to a mountaintop, don't be surprised if Satan's going to try to drag you into a valley afterwards. Don't be surprised by that. He's active, seeking whom he may devour. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Just you know, I'm not sure why God inspired Peter uh, to describe evil by comparing him to a member of the cat family. I don't know if there's anything in there or not. Sorry to all you cat lovers. I'm just reading the Bible, okay? I'm just reading scriptures. all I'm doing. I like cats. They make great dog food. Uh, just need to see if you're awake. So Satan is real. Satan is active. But most importantly, Satan's defeated. Satan is defeated. Say it with me. Satan is defeated. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them. Come on. Yeah. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That will be a day of celebration for the followers of Jesus Christ. But there is a problem. And the problem is Satan can read the book too. He's not all-knowing. He can't read your mind. He can't... You do all this stuff that God can do, but he can read the book, and he's read it, I promise you. He's memorized it to use it as a tool against you and twist it up and maneuver it the way he wants. But part of what he's read is that he's defeated, which means he's going to do everything he can to take as many as he can with him. Which is why we have to be prepared for his attacks, why we have to be prepared for his schemes and his tactics. Put it in, in, in war terms, Alexander the Great was one of the first great generals in history past that conquered the world, and he was famous most famous for sending spies into a land that he was going to, to conquer, learn everything they could learn about their culture and their tactics, and, and learn everything they could about how they waged war so they could bring that information back. And then Alexander would then come up with a battle plan that was custom designed to deal with the tactics of that enemy, conquer the known world. Put it in sports terms. I guarantee you there's been a whole lot of tape being played, a whole lot of films being watched in the last uh, couple of weeks preparing for the Super Bowl tonight, We're trying to learn every nuance of every player and every chink in that player's army and uh, armor and, and what they do well and what they don't do and who are they going to double team and, and how they're going to set up their offense and how they're going to set up their defense based on the abilities. They are planning their game plan based on the the enemy that they're facing. Does that make sense? The good news is, is that the Bible tells us Satan's tactics too. We can know them just as well as the 49ers know the Chiefs' tactics. We can know. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, 17. I like the way the King James lays it out. Here we go. For all that is in the world, read it with me, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Remember I said you got two choices, the world or the Word, those are the little two choices. These things are not of the Word, they're of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you see the three uh, segments, the three tools that he uses in there? We've got a chart. Can we bring the chart up? Um, 
Three tools, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those are good old King James kind of words that may ring true for you. You may know a lot about them. Uh, but the reality is that they're very real, so real that psychology has actually given names to them themselves. And they call them hedonism, materialism, and narcissism. Maybe you've heard those terms. More popular terms for it are pleasure, possessions, and position. Those are the three tactics that Satan's been using since the beginning of time. He, he, he perverts all of those things, twists them around, gets you to focus in those areas, understanding that if you, if you go after pleasure, possessions, and position, did I say that pleasure is wrong? Somebody say no. Did I say that possessions are wrong? No. Did I say that having position, popularity is wrong? No, but Satan will get you to look at those things through the lens, of, the lens of current culture, which then perverts them and ultimately leads to what's his agenda? To steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to look at those things through the lens of the Word of God in order to avoid those traps. Is, is this making sense? So this is real practical nuts and bolts kind of stuff, but it's critical that we do this because... Uh, uh, because Satan's been using these techniques for centuries. Every week during this series, we're going to take one of those and break it down. We're going to look at it. We're going to parse it according to what the culture says about it. And then we're going to look at the, what the scriptures say. And then we're going to learn how to break free from what the culture says about those things. Week by week, over the next three weeks, that's what we're going to do. For now, I just want you to understand uh, that he's been using those since the beginning of time. So go back to the Garden of Eden. Go back to the beginning of time. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, which refers back to verse 4 where Satan told her she could be like God, she took some and ate it. So do you see the three techniques or tactics of Satan with Adam and Eve in the garden? Yeah. Good for food, what's that? It's pleasure. Pleasing to the eye, what's that? I see it, I want it, that's possessions, right? Becoming like God? What is that? That's position. I want to be in charge. And so those are the three techniques that Satan's been using since the beginning of time. Fast forward a few thousand years, Jesus is about to start his public ministry, Matthew chapter 4, and he goes into the wilderness and does a 40-day fast to establish himself, prepare himself, intimacy with the Father during that time. And Satan knew toward the end of that time who Jesus was, and he knew what was coming. And so he decided he would do everything he could to prevent Jesus from even getting started. Anybody want to guess what tools he tried to use on Jesus? The, the only three he's got. The same three that he used in the Garden of Eden, right? He said, if you know this story, if you don't, look it up this afternoon and read through it, Matthew 4. He said, you know, you're bound to be hungry. It's been 40 days about it. Just turn these, these stones into bread. You gratify yourself. Pleasure. He took him to a place and showed him all of Jerusalem and said, you know, if, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all of this stuff. What's that? It's possessions. He took him to a pinnacle and said, okay, jump. You're so important. The angels will catch you. You know they will. What's that? That's position. So he's using the same three tactics in the Garden of Eden as he did on Jesus. And guess what? And he's still doing it today on us. Anybody know Jesus' response? Nope, not today, Satan. 
Say it with me. Nope, not today, Satan. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. He said, get out of here, Satan. Translation, nope, not today, Satan. Say it with me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. The scriptures say, what's the scriptures? It's the word of God. The word of God says only the Lord, worship only the Lord God, obey him only. Hear me. Jesus was put in a position using the same three tactics that he used against Adam and Eve who chose the world and introduced death. Jesus is now in the very same position, but he chose the word which brought life. And you and I, in probably every day of our lives, is put in the position to make the same choice. Will we choose the world or the word, culture, or Christ? The good news is Satan isn't very creative. He's very predictable. You can learn his schemes, you can learn his tactics, and you can recognize them when they come, okay? The bad news is he doesn't have to be terribly creative because we keep falling in the same traps over and over and over and over again. The better news is that Jesus made that choice. He chose the Word knowing that the Word had the power to overcome, and the Word is just as powerful today as it was then, which means you can make the same choice Jesus made in the same power that He made it in, the power of the Word of God that has stood the test of time, which leads me to the third truth about these beliefs and that is, not only do my beliefs impact my behaviors, actually define my behaviors, not only do my beliefs have a source, the word or the world, but I can break free from Satan's lies. I can break free. Say it with me. I can break free. On March 1st, Sunday morning, we're going to come in and declare, I am breaking free. It's going to be Break Free Sunday. It's going to be a powerful day. You do not want to miss any of these messages. If you've got to go away, watch online. Get them during the week off of the website. But be here on Sunday, March 1st. We're going to break free on that day. It's going to be a powerful day in your life and the life of our church family. Jesus said, I came to give you life. But he also said, I came to tell you the truth. And those two things are absolutely connected. Study his words in the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know we're reading through the Scriptures and we're on a reading schedule, but, but spend a little extra time during this series and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just study his words particularly. For those of you that don't know, in most of the print Bibles, the, the letters in red are the words that Jesus read, uh, said. So you can go through and read through those red letters and you can identify what Jesus said. Here's what you're going to find. 78 times Jesus said, I tell you the truth. 20 times he said, you've heard it said, but I say. Over and over and over again is what you hear. Throughout those four books of the Bible, you see the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. This is what you've heard, but let me tell you what the truth actually is. You see what he's doing? He's telling the truth. He's exposing the lies, and then he's telling the truth. He's actually doing what Christian counselors call replacement therapy. 
And hear me, it's the only way to break free from Satan's schemes is to replace the lies that you've been playing on tape in the back of your head since the bullies said those lies to you on the playground in the third grade or that unpleasable parent said you're never going to amount to anything or whatever the source of it was. You've been playing those tapes long enough. It's time to replace those lies with the truth because it is in Embracing the truth, the replacement of the lies for the truth, that you get the power to become everything God made you to be. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you've been to Sunday school or read the Bible or heard any teachings or preachings over the years, you're bound to have heard that verse many times over the years. But are you beginning to understand the implication of those words as we talk about this this morning? That it's not just a matter of hearing the Word of God. It's not just even a matter of saying, well, yeah, that's the Bible. Of course it's true. But it's actually evaluating our current belief system through the lens of does it line up with the truth, and what am I doing to put the truth into practice in my life, in my behaviors, in my relationships, in my choices, because beliefs ultimately determine behaviors. As reasonable as that sounds, it's a huge problem for a lot of folks. I've been in this pastor business a long time. I said, you know, you've heard me say it if you've been here very long, 40, none of your business years. I uh, I started to say that to somebody the other day. He said, how long have you been in ministry? And I said, well, 40, none of you, um, actually, November, I'll have to say 50 years. No, this November, I've been doing this for 50 years. Um, and I've watched it, guys. Don't be offensive to anybody in the room, but, but I, I've, I've pastored a lot of people over the years who were stuck because they didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. And it's a huge passion of mine. We're working behind the scenes to develop a whole discipleship process around here so that you can lay a foundation of the Word of God for your life. And you, you, you can't be responsible for what you don't know unless you have the opportunity to know it and choose not to. So we're going to give you the opportunity to know it. Some of you say, well, you know, I've never heard it. I can't practice it, right? Other people know the stories. You may have grown up in church and you know the stories. You know all about my shack, your shack, and a, and a billy goat. You know, you know those stories. Or was it Meshach, Horshach, and, and a bungalow? I don't know. What, what, you know, you know. But we don't know the principles behind those stories. We understand the truth that those stories bring. Sadly, some people know. They just don't practice. Oh, oh, oh. they're glad to apply the principles to other people. They can hear these principles taught and say, you go, Pastor. Boy, I sure wish my brother-in-law was here. I sure wish my husband was here. Boy, my wife needs to hear that. We can apply it to other people. I'm going to beg you during this series not to do that. Let the Holy Spirit deal with those folks. I'm going to beg you to come and say, how am I doing in the area of pleasure, positions, and possessions? Am I hearing the truth? Am I practicing the truth? That's what this series ultimately is all about, helping us to evaluate what we really believe and how it is ultimately affecting our lives and then replace any counterfeit beliefs with the truth. 
What did Jesus say about the truth? He said, ultimately, the truth will set you free. But it's going to take replacing cultural lies with biblical truth. It's going to take doing battle with the enemy of your soul and saying, nope, not today, Satan. I will not fall to your schemes. I will not allow it to happen I choose by the authority of God's Word based on the words of Jesus Christ Himself and from my experience of watching it happen on both sides of getting it right and getting it wrong, I will live the abundant life Jesus promised for me. John 8, 31 and 2, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hollywood loves that last phrase. The truth will set you free. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? There's knowing the truth, holding on to the truth, practicing the truth. And when that happens, the truth will, not might, will set you free. So let me just close quickly. By giving you three commitments I'm going to ask you to make every week throughout this series. You can jot them down if you want to. I'll remind you, I promise, every week. But three commitments I'm going to ask you to make with me. I'm going through this process myself. Even as I write these sermons, I'm praying, Lord, what are you saying to me about this subject? Because i got no right to say it to you publicly if I haven't processed it personally. You with me? And so I'm processing. I'm going to ask you to. Commitment number one is I will seek the truth. I will seek the truth. Hebrews eleven six. anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's this earnestness. There's this sincerity. There is this, this okay, God, I want to know the truth. And I'm not going to assume because I've believed it for a long time or because somebody that taught me that somewhere back along the way, I trusted them. I'm not going to assume that. I'm going to assume that the Bible is the truth, and I'm going to seek you. I'm going to seek the truth. One of my seminary professors, Gordon Fee, used to say it, it made him so mad when somebody would call him a theologian. Now, if there's ever been a theologian that I've had the privilege of studying under, it was Dr. Gordon Fee. He wrote uh, a huge portion of the New International Commentary series. He read Greek and Hebrew like I read English. He spoke Greek and Hebrew. I mean, the man was a brilliant scholar and loved Jesus with all of his heart. But he said, when somebody called me a theologian, it makes me mad. And I would say, I am not a theologian. I am a student of the Word of God. You see, a theologian decides what their theology is, and then they start reading the Bible through the filter of their belief system. A student of the Bible says, my theology will stay in flux because my theology is not the final authority. The book is. So I will seek the truth, which is the Word of God. Number two, I will believe the truth. When it hits me, when I see it, I'm going to go, ah, I get it. Understanding that every action begins with a belief, I'm going to start defining my beliefs. That's the Romans 12, uh, 2 passage when Paul said, don't be conformed any longer to this world, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the repatterning of your thinking, the replacement uh, therapy of getting rid of the lies and embracing 
the truth, and ultimately I will act on the truth. I will act, so I will seek, I will believe, I will act. Say it with me. I will seek, I will believe, I will act. One more time. I will seek, I will believe, I will act. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 14 and 15, we will no longer be like children forever changing our minds about what we believe because somebody's told us something different or has cleverly lied to us and made the lies sound like the truth. Instead, we will lovingly, what? Follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more like Jesus Christ, Paul gives us a word picture of living this life where we're not pulled back and forth by the schemes of Satan because some clever liar has found a new way to package it, but we're actually beginning to live honest, truthful lives, dealing with our fellow man honestly and truthfully, which in the process leads us to the fulfilling life that he has for us. Is that worth a few Sunday mornings to address? I hope you'll lean into this when I am. Just a fresh evaluation in my own life. I hope you'll join us on this journey. Let's pray. Your heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to keep you but a minute, but I do want to ask, have you embraced the foundational truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the life, the truth. No one comes to the Father but by me. The beginning of this whole journey is establishing that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, to pay for my sin, your sin. Satan may have thought momentarily that he had won, but it was in fact the beginning of the end for him because Jesus rose from the grave and he's alive. He's preparing heaven for us and he's coming. He's coming soon. I can't fathom why he hasn't come already, but the Bible says, He's being patient, giving us chance to help those people that haven't found this truth yet. So just in the quietness of this moment, will you ask yourself this first evaluation? Remember, we're going to seek the truth, believe the truth, act on the truth. Have I given my life to Jesus Christ? Have I established him as Lord, CEO, big kahuna, the boss, the one in charge? If I said, Jesus, you're the commander-in-chief, my answer to you, sir, is yes. Have I been born again, to use Jesus' words to Nicodemus, crossed from death unto life? Have you given Jesus your life? And if you can't absolutely say that right now in the quietness of this moment, then I beg you to pray a simple prayer with me, establishing a belief in your heart that will play out in behaviors over time. To say, Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. 
I believe it was my sin that nailed you to the cross. And I'm sorry. Will you give me a fresh start? Would you forgive me? Give me a fresh start today. And then help me to base my life on truth, not lies. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying that prayer right now. And you know the life that's about to unfold for them, having prayed it. Thank you for the privilege that we have to go on that journey with them. I pray that you'd help all of us to seek, believe, and act on the truth. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.